This program does not provide medical advice. We assume no liability for the information provided on MindForce Radio. Please consult your physician before beginning any exercise or nutrition program. This is Roger LaPointe, and I have known Bob Whalen for many years at this point, and he is one of the most intense individuals you will ever meet. Go MindForce Radio. From Mind Force Radio, this is Natural Strength Night with Maximum Bob. On Natural Strength Night, we don't talk about the other things Bob likes to talk about. Tonight, we only talk strength training. When I say strength training, I don't mean training like punk-ass goons in the muscle magazines who jacked up on juice, steroids, and PEDs. I mean natural strength. Strength built on good food, heavy weights, and no shortcuts. If you want to learn about real natural strength, weight training the right way, the old school way, stick around. Bob and his friends just might teach you something. He's here, the host of Natural Strength Night, Maximum Bob Whalen. Tonight, our guest is Mike Bondurant. Mike is well known as one of the top Iron Game memorabilia collectors and physical culture historians in the world. He's especially known as the guy who knows the history of strength equipment. He is the founder of the Muscle Museum in St. Augustine, Florida. He's also the publisher of the Muscle Museum Forum newsletter. I'm going to have to drive up and visit Mike now that I'm in Florida. Mike sounds like a man half his age, but don't let his youthful voice fool you. He's well into his 70s, and he has over 60 years' experience in the field of strength training, and he's done it all, from running his own gyms to selling equipment and nutritional products, running natural bodybuilding contests, writing numerous strength training articles, and his own personal training business. If you're going to be anywhere near St. Augustine, Florida, you have to stop by and visit the Muscle Museum. Mike owns one of the world's finest collections of unique Iron Game historical items that are the envy of collectors worldwide. Mike doesn't have a website, but you can contact him by email at mikebd1 at bellself.net. That's M-I-K-E-B-D, the number one, at bellself.net. And Big Mike, welcome to Natural Strength Night. Bob, thanks for having me. I, uh, I'm looking forward to talking to you. So, Mike, tell us about your muscle museum. What, you know, what gave you the idea? What year did you start it, and how has it grown? Well, back in the back in the '70s, when I first started my gym, actually before before I started my gym, so it must have been about '71. I found a Burr barbell set in a garage sale. And it was really nice. The whole, you know, the, the nice chrome sleeve and everything. And and with it was a pair of Jowett um, fulcrum bells, which were little uh, bells that with a wooden handle and 
you know, this kind of thing, really old. And uh, I I bought them, and that sort of got me interested in old stuff. Before that, I never, before that, I would have thought old stuff would, you know, just, you know, I wasn't interested. But uh, once I got those, and then a few years later, my wife gave me a pair of uh, wooden dumbbells. And that that really mm. started it. I, I put those, by then I had my gym, and I put them up in a, a little glass cabinet there, and people would come by and ask ask about them. I'd never even seen wooden dumbbells before at that point. Mike, what is the address of your place if people want to come visit it? Oh, it's, it's 247 Cortez Drive, St. Augustine, Florida. I remember your newsletter. You had, you had that Muscle Museum newsletter for a long time. Eight years we did, and we put out 20 issues. And, uh, yeah, that was quite popular. Um, my daughter helped me with it. She's a um, graphic artist, and uh, she moved to Australia, or actually back to Australia, and uh, then I started doing it myself. Now, you had some great pictures of your old equipment in there. Yeah, I really enjoyed doing that. It was fun. Um, and we, you know, we had some pictures of, you know, my stuff, and people would send in, uh, uh, you know, pictures of, of their stuff and tell me stories and all, and I enjoyed uh, passing that on. And people seem to seem to like it. What are some of your most prized pieces in the museum? Well, I'm I'm really a, a, a kind of a an iron freak. I like the equipment probably more than anything, more than the books or the pictures or anything. And uh, I would say uh, my most prized one. I have a teardrop French barbell, and we call it a teardrop because instead of round globular ends they're shaped more like a teardrop and um that i got from my good friend mike farah out in california and this thing came to the united states in the early 20th century and was probably made in the 1880s or 1890s yeah you you know it's a shot shot loaded kind of thing uh but i've never seen another one like it and uh, i guess that's probably just uh, you know, just one of my favorites. And then I have um, I have a uh, a Samson uh, dumbbell, a uh, globe dumbbell that very much like the Milos, uh, and that's a one of a kind. I don't know anybody that's got one of those. A um, couple of Milo barbells and uh, and some various you know stuff like that. I, those are I guess my favorite. Yeah, it must be real thrilling when you come across something because it's very hard now to to you know to get that old equipment. Do you put ads in the paper or go to go to garage sales and and look for the old equipment or does it just you, you just kind of stumble upon it by accident or how do you do it i used to when i had my uh my gym and my uh my supplement business i was on the road one day a week and and uh, uh being kind of lazy like i am i i spent a fair amount of time you know going through antique stores and that kind of thing because that was before um before the internet and so there was not as uh, it's, it's much easier to find today. Now the problem is paying for it because the prices have gone uh, through the roof. It seems like 30 years ago, 30, 40 years ago, there weren't a lot of people that were interested in the old timers and the old stuff like there is now. I mean, now everybody wants that stuff. So right. it's just hard to get your hands on it. Well, twenty even 20 years ago, uh, I uh, somehow or another. Uh, connected with Reuben Weaver up in Virginia. And I think at that time, uh, I believed at that time, we were the only ones that were interested. Later on, we find there, found there were a few, but there was no communication like there is today 
among the collectors, and uh, so we, that made it kind of thrilling uh, to, um, to to find somebody that was all interested in the same thing. Now, Mike, I know you have met uh, the great Sig Klein, and you actually visited his gym in New York City. So that that must have been so cool. Could you tell us what that was like? Yeah, that was uh, I was a teenager, and I believe that was just before I went into the army. So I must have been about 18, and uh, I, my my folks were military people, and they were living in New Jersey. So I went over one day and and you know found the gym and walked up the stairs. I think it was on the third floor, and walked in and this little guy comes out in a white uh, tank top, just like an undershirt tank top, um, and I guess he was what five 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 six, a little short guy, much shorter than I thought he was. Smoking this stogie cigar, <laughs> but he did have a, he had an impressive pair of arms. I'll say that for him. And uh, we chatted for a while, and I think he has a reputation for being a a pretty tough guy. Uh, but we got along fairly well. He, he was I won't say he was nice to me, but he wasn't discourteous or anything. He was just kind of sort of a gruff guy. Yeah, it seems like most of the gym owners were that way back in the day. That's right, and I found out later on it's the only way to run a gym. Uh, Sig didn't suffer fools gladly. Uh, he wanted to know what you could do, what, you know, uh, and he sort of judged you by that. Uh, I know he was really interested. I told him I had some beer steins from Germany, and uh, <laughs> he said, You have beer steins? You don't have beer steins? He said. <laughs> I said, yeah. He said, you got any weightlifters on them? I said, uh, no. And then he just turned me off. You know, and that, that was that was the end of his interest in me. And once he knew I wasn't going to sign up for a membership and I didn't have any beer steins, uh, he would have just as soon I left. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because he had a huge collection of beer steins in the gym too, right? In the in the gym, up on a high shelf, up over the weights. Uh, he had a beautiful little gym. I mean, it was small. Uh, it had carpet and uh, had all the the globe barbells. There must have been no. Oh, I'm guessing twenty pair of globe barbells lining the wall. By the way, I know where a lot of those are. I can't get Bill, them, but I know where they are. <laughs> there's some of them are in Bill Pearl's barn. Uh, yeah, Bill's got a few. Terry Todd, I think, has a couple. Um, and there have been a few that have come up from time to time. I've had people call me um, wanting to know if I was interested. Yes, I was interested, but the the prices that they wanted often were just you know you know just beyond me. Um, but this, I know one guy who got. I think he has about ten of them. Uh, wow! But he let him go, and uh, you know that's the way it is. <laughs> about what year was that when you went to his gym? I'd say that was. Um, uh, that was 59, 1959. About how old was Sig at that time, do you think? I'd say Sig must have been a, I'd say he's probably in his 50s. And he he looked at, but the, the body was the body was quite good. Uh, for a short man that weighed maybe, what, 160 pounds, uh, and he probably had 16, 16 half-inch arms, uh, just my guess, uh, but they were very impressive. Um yeah, he was an impressive guy. I had a friend of mine that went up and worked out there one time, and <laughs> he was lifting one of the uh, one of the globe barbells, and he'd never lifted with a globe barbell. And if if you've ever lifted one, when you lift it, the 
the uh, the shot inside moves, and if you're mm-hmm. not careful, it can it can knock you down. You know when you lift the thing up. Well, he lifts it up and drops it, and Clyde wow. came storming over and just lit into him, and he felt so bad. He was a teenager at the time, and so he goes in, takes a shower. He's going to leave. He takes a shower, turns the shower on, and broke the handle off of the shower knob, and. <laughs> He was too scared to tell Sig what he'd done, and he put it in his pocket and left and never went back. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's one of my regrets is not going there. Oh, yeah, because he ran that place until 72, I think, and that place was in business until the early 70s, and uh, I I regret because I could have went there, but, you know, I didn't really know that much about him at the time, but I was I was into training since the mid-60s, so, man, I, I, I wish I knew about him. I would have went down there. Oh, yeah, it was, it, you know, it, it wasn't, you know, it didn't impress me that much at the time, you know, these old globe barbells and stuff. I just wasn't interested. I just, all I was interested in is how many sets should I do to build my arms, you know, this kind of thing. Uh, yeah, back then we but, probably thought it was junk, and, and now we wish we could get our hands on it. Gosh, oh my gosh, yeah. A lot of it went to Japan, I understand. I don't know if the actual weights did, but a lot of the memorabilia that came out of his gym went, uh, uh, from what I understand, to a buyer in Japan, a collector, and uh, so it'll never be, uh, you know, it'll never never get back over here, likely. So, Mike, I know collectors really want to get their hands on Jackson equipment, too, and, you know, Jackson just has a great reputation. I, I know they were, you know, custom-made, home-crafted in a in a basement, and they were just uh, like a work of art. So could you fill us in about the history of the Jackson Barbell Company and what made them so special? Well, it, 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 just in general uh, terms, uh, Jackson started in the early 30s, and apparently he saw um, one of the, the uh, York Olympic sets, and it was probably the one that that uh, you know was brought over from Germany that they copied, and um, he felt that he could make a better one. So he went home and um, uh, you know to his basement workshop. At that time, I believe was living at home with his dad, and uh, decided he was going to uh, to make some. And, and he, I guess he was happy with what he did. Um, I have no idea what happened to those early ones, but. Um, obviously a, a competitor of York, but he did it all in his basement. He got um, shipments of plates. Of course, he didn't cast the plates, but shipments of plates would come in, and he would hand carry them from the, first of all, go pick them up, then bring them home, hand carry them down the steps into his basement, and uh, uh, there he would he would work welding and, and uh, milling and doing all the stuff that was needed for his uh, a very finely tuned uh, 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 set. A friend of mine was a um, New Jersey State cop, and he wanted uh, some Jackson equipment, so he decided he would find it. He was over in that area, um, and uh, he went, uh, and he looked at the address, and he looked at the house, and he said, well, this couldn't be it. He, so he knocked on the door, and he said, excuse me, I'm, he thought there'd be smokestacks, and, you know. And uh, the lady answered the door, Mrs. Uh, Jackson, and he said, "Excuse me, I, you know, I, I'm looking for the Jackson Barbell Company. Can you?" T-? She says, "Yeah, he's downstairs. 
go through here. So he goes down and meets Andy and, uh, and uh, you know, that it just waits all over the place, he said. It was the biggest mess you ever saw. That's unbelievable. And the business he did out of his basement was just unreal, right? He had orders from all over the world down there. Absolutely. Now, of course, he never, you know, never did the kind of volume that York did, and he wasn't as well known. Um, as I understand it, he took the the, uh, the 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 when he later on got into machines, you know, leg presses and that kind of thing. He would assemble them and then disassemble them, take them out into his driveway, put them together again, make sure they worked, and then disassemble them again for shipping. You know, it was a real one man hmm. operation. But his, wow. he was, he, what he did, uh, as far as I know, he was, as far as I know, was the first one, at least the first American company, to use um, uh, roller bearings for his uh, 1A Olympic bar. Um, and, uh, the, and, of course, they're just now getting into that. Even, even uh, York, I think, now has a roller bearing bar. They're very expensive. Um, wow. So he was making those back in the 30s, the, the Jackson 1A, which is sort of the... the uh, the most prized thing of of, uh, of the Jackson equipment. Then he later on he made different ones. He made a one B and he made a, a a Jackson number two and a number three and a number four and a number five and a number six. All these were somewhat different and they got cheaper as you as the numbers went up. Yeah, Bob Hoffman must have hated them, right? No, I think they had a uh, they they respected each other and there's no evidence I don't think of of them ever. You know, growling at each other, or, or you know, like certainly nothing like what we, you know, Weeder and Hoffman went through. But Jackson did uh, later on in the fifties um, uh, ran into a relationship uh, with the guy that made the first curl easy curl bar, and Jackson was making these bars. Uh, it, it, someone told him that Hoffman was also making them, so Jackson owned the patent then, and he. Apparently called uh, called Bob up and said, "Hey, you know, I got the patent on those." So they ended up. Uh, I think uh, <clears throat> I think he got a thousand or fifteen hundred dollars or something for the patent rights. So then uh, York went and did almost identical thing. The only thing York didn't put an Erling on. Wow, I remember that, and I think they they spelled the curl with a K or something just to change it, right? Yeah, easy curl bar. Right? <laughs> Remember that? <laughs> yeah. And the first one, if you if you're looking for the old ones, the first curl bars uh, or easy curl bars had a welded inside collar, uh, and then apparently after a pretty short time, they must have um, found out it was cheaper just to put on a little uh, kind of a chintzy collar that they used, um, you know, a, a set screw collar. But the first ones had a nice uh, welded-on collar, and they were they, that was a nice piece. What They're inventory still... of of Jackson equipment do you have, Mike? Well, what I have now is not much. I have a Jackson exercise set out there, a standard set that I that I dearly love, and that's what I use mostly for benching. I have different brands like Burbell and Jackson and Good and all these out there. And what I like to do in order to so that they you know, so they don't feel bad or feel neglected. I, I try to use uh, a different a different set for each exercise when I'm out there. So the Jackson is my bench 
exercise uh, to bar. And um, uh, so they're standard plates, you know, one and a sixteenth uh, um, hole or a little bigger than that. And um, but at one time I had a um, I had the Jackson one a plates. Uh, I never had a bar, but I had the plates. And then I had a um, a Jackson number four and a number five complete set with the bars. And uh, hmm. I don't have those any longer. Uh, I do have a Jackson Easy Curl bar though, and uh, that I only know of one or two other ones. So that's right. Hmm. Yeah, the the prominent plate on the cover picture of Iron Nation in my book that I did with yeah. Drew Israel, the prominent right. plate is the Jackson plate. I, th- I, t- I told you already, I, I got that from Osmo, because c- I don't have a Jackson plate, but Osmo took the picture for me, so I had him, I told him how I wanted it, and he, he made it perfect. He lined those plates up, and he took the picture, and uh, yeah. Yeah, it came out great. So that's Osmo's Jackson plate on there. <laughs> yeah, that's neat, and and I think there's also there's a York uh, Globe uh, dumbbell on there, and uh, and uh, I think you were telling me I've forgotten this, but there's a little very small weeder plate on there, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I told you. I, I got a Leco on there, York and Jackson, and then I put and I, I got Marcy on there, and then I put a tiny. Uh, a little, because I, I, you know, wanted to acknowledge him, but you know, I didn't want to make a lot of it. So I think I put a two and a half in the corner, of the, a weeder plate. <laughs> but that was all you, designed, funny. you know. That wasn't by yeah. accident. <laughs> funny story. I have a, uh, I have a, a an Evanco stainless steel Olympic bar that I dearly love. I mean, this thing is great. It's a little shorty, five and a half pound, with five and a half feet, which is just right for my gym, and. Um, uh, uh, Tom Lincier, who owns uh, Ivanko, was was visiting one time, and uh, and uh, I told him, I said, you know, that's really kind of sad. I really like that bar. I said, isn't it a shame that I have those those crummy weeder rubber plates on it? If I just had some Jackson plates, I mean, some excuse me, some uh, Ivanko plates to put on it, so. He sent me uh, he sent me some some uh, some Evanco plates so that it would it would look it would look right. It wasn't until recently. I mean, I've, I've been a York guy my whole life, and I've only had York plates. But now, you know, in recent years, since York has been sold so many times, and just because they're it's not run by the same people, so the quality isn't the same. I, I think I think recently they've improved and got better again. But you know, j- just because it's yeah. not the same York, um, then you know, in recent years I've I've not had that same loyalty. So now um, I think I'm probably loyal to Ivanko now. So, but luckily I bought most of my plates a long time ago. I mean, I have my plates I've had for decades, and when York was still good, but. If if I have to buy new plates now, I, I buy Ivanko. Yeah, they're they're hard to beat. They uh, Tom Lincier, uh is just a stickler for uh, for making them right. And um, yeah, I love his stuff. Now at the YMCA here in St. Augustine has York uh, Olympic bars, and they're the one, the newer ones that are uh, uh, made in Canada. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, frankly, they're quite good. I at least I like them. Um, they're a hard chrome, which is really good for Florida. Yeah, I, I I have no no complaints about those at all. But then I'm not a heavy lifter, so the bigger the bigger guys are gonna be the ones that'll give those the test. I'm sure. 
heard the quality is getting it's improving in recent years, so I'm, I'm, I'm glad about that. I, w- I wish someone that loved barbells and loved the history yeah. would take over that company and try to make it great again. You know, just like they did with Harley Davidson. Remember back in the 70s? Yeah. Harley Davidson was on the verge of going of bankrupt. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, well, they, they were in bankruptcy court, and they were about to just go completely under. And then some millionaire guy who loves motorcycles bought the company and just made them great great again and made them better than ever. So I wish something like that would happen to York. I, I do, too. Uh, uh, I've been there on a couple of occasions um, and uh, in fact, went there one time, and uh, Schmidt uh, uh, took me around. Uh, you remember he, he just recently passed on. Um, right, I met him when I went to York. Yeah, nice fella. And uh, he took. I, I went with my dad that time, and uh, uh, of course, my dad didn't have any interest really in the in the weights or anything. But he he went with me, and we we toured the factory. In those days, they were they still had weights coming down on the. Um, uh, on hooks, and they would. It was still a factory in those days. Those days are gone. So, so, Mike, tell us that funny story that you told me the other day, where you were traveling and uh, you were in Fort Pierce, the town that I live in right now, and you yeah. told me this unbelievable story that I told Osmo, and he couldn't believe it. But you were in a YMCA and you stumbled upon some rare globe barbells and you you got them practically for free because the people there thought they were junk and you ended up trading you said well let me just give you a couple of cans of protein so you got these rare globe barbells for a couple of cans of protein right (laughs) that's that's right in fact they didn't even really want the protein but i i felt bad you know going away without giving them something i don't know what they finally did he may have thrown it away but this ymca was uh in in the middle of a, a kind of a seedy area and it was an old YMCA, and um, I kept pressing them at the desk. I told them that I that I sold equipment, and I did in those days. I I, I repped out some some uh, steel dumbbells that were quite nice, actually. So it would give me an end to go in to see gyms, which and I I still today love to go to gyms. And um, so the the woman at the desk kept telling me, no, nah, they don't have any, they don't have a weight room anymore, and don't have any more equipment it's all gone and i kept pressing and finally she says well let me ask the uh the maintenance guy so they bring they bring up uh you know big john or whatever his name was and said you know we got any equipment and he said well he said it might be in the storeroom so he says come on with me we went down this long hallway and he took a padlock took a key open this padlock and we go in this door and the squeaks and the and the only light in there was, I think, from a hole in the roof because the floor was wet, and it, it was bad. And right <laughs> in the middle of this room, it, like, lit up from the from the light from the hole in the roof, just like God saying, here, you know? And here's the two pair of York uh, globe weights, and as I remember, they were 80s and 85s or something like that. And I... I I I looked at it and I said, my God, I said, um, uh, would they consider selling them, you know? And he said, if you don't buy them, he says, it'll be here another 20, 30 years. He says, take them out of here. So I said, gee, let me give you something for them. I said, uh, in those days I had my protein powder. And uh, I said, let me give you some protein powder. You can sell it at the front desk and make some money. He said, fine. So I gave it to him and and uh hobbled out of the gym with with uh, with those there's a there's another quick story if we've got some time one of my favorites oh we got all the time in the world 
I went to a, a YMCA in St. Petersburg, in Florida, and uh, it was an old built in the twenties. And uh, I'd been in there a couple of, on a couple of occasions, and they had uh, some pretty old equipment in there, uh, globe dumbbells and uh, and some old York uh, uh, barbells that were, had been welded up. Uh, and I remembered particularly that one of the barbells they had in the rack had those old long neck collars. I don't know if you've seen them. They made them in 1948, and they were about, um, I believe, about four inches long. They were huge, and uh, mm-hmm. they had welded these collars to 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 make a uh, a fixed weight barbell. Anyway, so I go in one time, and they said, "Well, we're you know we're." I said, well, I, you know, they said, well, we're moving. You know, we're moving to a new location. We've got a new building. And I said, well, what happened to the old equipment? And they said, well, uh, I don't. The guy said, I don't really know what happened to that old stuff. And I said, well, I and I had been in there, I guess, not too long before that, and seen that they had piled a bunch of it in this one room, which was now the music room or something. And so we went down to this room, and they weren't in there, but there were some stairs going up, and there was this paneling that covered the area under the stairs. And it was done rather quickly, obviously, just some cheap paneling put up there. And there was enough where I could look in. You know, if I pulled it, flexed it a little bit, I could look in there. And sure as heck, somebody had put all that stuff underneath this cubby hole under the stairs. So wow. I said, what are you going to do with all that stuff? And he said, God, I don't know. He says, we just put it under there because we didn't want to look at it anymore. And so ended up, uh, I'm in there with a claw hammer. We're taking off the uh, paneling. And there is um, a, an old leg press machine that they couldn't get out because it had been built before they built the hallway and everything. And it was like the guy that builds the boat in his basement. They couldn't get it out. And it was sitting in there, <laughs> sitting in there with a pair of Jackson 100-pound Olympic plates on it. So that that got my attention. And then there were a bunch of barbells. There were some York fixed-weight dumbbells and uh um, uh, barbells and all this, a whole bunch of stuff, and um, so I, I ended up working a deal. I traded them some the, they needed for their aerobics classes. Some of these like rubber expanding things, you know, that they used they used at least mm-hmm. in those days. They had hand grips on both sides. So I talked yep. to the physical. She said, "Well, we need we need a few of these for our classes." She said, "If you'll give us those, I'll let you have that stuff underneath this." <laughs> and I brought them back. And, and so then we had the problem. This was in the basement, and it, and the stuff had been built around it to the point where it was hard to get out. So we ended up going into the swimming pool, which was downstairs. I'm sorry, it's a long story, but swimming pool was downstairs, and there were these high windows that were were street level, even though the 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 pool was in the, if you can picture that, the pool was in the basement, but they had these windows that looked out onto the alley in the back and we ended up opening those windows and pushing this leg press machine and all this other stuff out the out the window into the into the into the into the uh, alley in the back and uh, I drove away and uh, 
you know, all that, most of that stuff is gone, but I, I got some really, really neat stuff out of that, and uh, it was amazing. We'll be back with more right after this. This segment brought to you by VitalNutritionStore.com. Did you know that more than 7 million Americans suffer from coronary heart disease, the most common form of heart disease? Regardless of your age or condition, adding Cardio for Life to your daily regime will dramatically improve your cardiovascular condition. Cardio for Life has been the top-selling Enlarger 9 product in the marketplace now for more than three years. It is also the top-selling product at VitalNutritionStore.com. Formulated by Dr. Harry Elwart, the best-selling author of Let's Stop the Number One Killer of Americans Today, Dr. Harry believes together we can prevent and reverse heart disease. Cardio for Life comes in three wonderful flavors, orange, peach, and grape, and is gluten-free, sugar-free, and sodium-free. Please see our complete line of natural products at vitalnutritionstore.com. That's V-I-T-A-L nutritionstore.com. Randy Roach shocked the world with the release of his first volume of Muscle Smoke and Mirrors several years ago. It was a masterpiece of over 500 pages with such in-depth research and detail that it was not only surprising, but shocking and mind-blowing. It was truly one of the best Iron Game history books ever written. He followed that with Volume 2, another epic book with over 700 pages of equal depth and detail. All serious Iron Game fans need to have these books. Please visit Randy's website at randyroach.ca. That's R-A-N-D-Y-R-O-A-C-H dot C-A. Listen to how Iron Game legend and the Iron Master editor, Osmo Kihaw, describes the book Supernatural Strength. Have you ever wondered how much real-world experience authors have when they write books about weight training? Who is that person behind the computer? What do they really know about the Iron Game? If you picked up this book, Supernatural Strength, you have definitely come to the right place. The author, Bob Whalen, has spent several decades in the Iron Game trenches training himself, competing and coaching in powerlifting, earning academic credentials too numerous to mention, and thousands of hours of training and instructing athletes and trainees of all levels at his Washington, D.C. gym since 1990. He's not only devoted his life to motivating and pushing people to heights they have never been to, but elevating the trainees' understanding why certain methods work better than others. Bob is one of the most respected and revered trainers in the business today. This book is sure to surprise and amaze you at the same time. Order now at SupernaturalStrength.com. That's SupernaturalStrength.com. Don't you think it would be so much easier getting into shape if you had a personal coach? Just like all the celebrities do. Well, now you can. Bob Whalen of WebStrengthCoach.com wants to get you out of your rut and coach you to success. He's dedicated to helping you achieve your strength and fitness goals through your hard work and his expert guidance. Bob will help you with strength training, muscle building, fitness, nutrition, and motivation. He'll make sure you achieve your maximum physical potential. You can get one-on-one training with Bob through his website webstrengthcoach.com he will develop a personalized program tailored to your individual needs a program right for you bob will give you feedback after every workout this is old school fitness and nutrition no fads and no gimmicks bob will use proven natural techniques to make sure you are satisfied so visit webstrengthcoach.com today and let bob help you reach your best self webstrengthcoach.com 
Do you enjoy history without social engineering? Reading about our founding fathers? Economics from a capitalist perspective? Wisdom from modern patriots? Welcome to UncleSamBooks.com, where virtues like rugged individualism, hard work, and the American dream dominate. UncleSamBooks.com. Great books for homeschooling. UncleSamBooks.com. If you want to become as strong and muscular as possible with health in mind and without lowering yourself to using steroids, the best advice can be found in the classic strongman books of long ago. These are the best books ever written on the subjects of strength training, weightlifting, strongman training, iron game history, and old-time physical culture. Many of them can still be found at physicalculturebooks.com. There you will find good, honest, time-tested wisdom from the great old-time strongmen to maximize your natural muscular and strength potential. Please visit physicalculturebooks.com. Listen to Ken Manny, head strength and conditioning coach at Michigan State University, describe the book Iron Nation. A masterpiece text on some of the most intriguing and compelling personal stories, iron game history, and gut-wrenching training routines ever put to paper. If you truly love hard training without all the frills of pomp and circumstance so common today, you will love Iron Nation. Written by lifters for lifters. If you love weight training, you will love Iron Nation. Order now at ironnation.com. That's I-R-O-N nation.com. If you would like to promote your business on MindForce Radio, we would love to hear from you. Please let us know if you are interested in a 30- or 60-second voice commercial or a banner website ad. Please contact Bob using the contact information provided on MindForceRadio.com. You're listening to Natural Strength Night on MindForce Radio. trades for protein powder and chest expander yeah. springs, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> uh, maybe I got in the wrong business. I don't know. I just say, you know, you're, you're dealing with something that somebody doesn't really want anyway. Tell us about your Burbell and Burr collection and, uh, you know, tell us about the company because I know you told me off the year about Burbell and then later they just changed to Burr. But um, I think yeah. you have a lot of those barbells in your collection, right? Yeah, well, I did at one time had a few. Uh, uh, as I as I mentioned earlier, I got a, a, a set, a complete barbell with the with the uh, sleeves and all that kind of stuff uh, at a garage sale in the early '70s, and just kind of when I had my gym, that set was up in my attic. I I had no idea what I wanted to do with it. The only thing is, I I, I knew I liked it. It was kind of cool, and the first barbell I ever had when I lived in uh, Germany. Uh, going to high school was a burr, 
and so I wanted to get that. So anyway, I had this uh, this set, and then as I got into it and learned more of the history, I found out that the, that actually um, Burr was started back in the uh, actually in the late twenties was when the idea was formed, and um, uh, the, uh, the the guy that started it uh, decided that you know he was going to make uh, something. The thing that bothered him about Weights was the fact that they that it was hard to change your weights. You know, when you did a set, and then you had to take the collars off, and you had to slide off, and stuff. So he came up with the idea of a burr quick change, and this barbell, um, of which I know of only one uh, in the world uh, today. But anyway, it had a square sleeve. If you can picture that, instead of a rounded sleeve at the end, it was square. And what you did, they had U-shaped uh, plates, and the U-shaped plates fit down over this square sleeve and locked by a little gate at the bottom uh, on a spring. And the idea was that you you picked the thing up with a thing that looked like a longshoreman look. You, you, you hook this thing into the plate, into this little hole, you hold it over the bar and you let it slide down, and you didn't have to take the old plates off to, to add weights or take off weights. That was the whole idea. It's a little hard to describe, but it was called the Burr Quick Change, and he came out with that, uh, I think, in the mid, uh, mid-30s. And um, he also made, uh, and it was a great say. It was a, it was stainless steel. It was revolving sleeve. Those sleeves actually revolved. It was an amazing thing. It was just more expensive. Um, and I don't remember exactly, but I think in those days you paid like ten bucks for a for a good Olympic set. Uh, not a good Olympic set, but a good exercise set would have been about ten dollars or something. And these things were like. $30. So they were expensive uh for the time. He did he formed his own uh um his own uh company with a with a foundry, cast his own weights, uh cut his own bars, did all the work himself, not himself, but his uh his people made, did the work. And he got quite large. It, it made um I think he was probably the second or third biggest uh in the uh, late 30s, probably just under York, uh, and then as he got into the 50s, he was still up there making uh, regular barbells, but uh, selling them cheaper than anybody else. And uh, they went out of business, I think, in 74. About the time Jackson went out, um, when when the fellow died, and uh, and no one no one took it over. Uh, a company called Roberts bought the patterns, and the, and uh, they came out with. <clears throat> weights that were the same pattern, but they used the, the Roberts name. My original little dumbbell that I got when I was 10 years old, I still have it, and it was a, it's a Roberts dumbbell. Oh, yeah, sure. A little solid dumbbell. So Roberts dumbbell. came from, yeah, it's a solid, uh, like, 10-pound dumbbell. Yeah, I, I never really knew where Roberts came from. So, yeah, yeah Burr, th- thanks for that background. I still have it, though. Yeah, Burr begat Roberts. When Burr went out... Roberts took over their machinery, and I assume the foundry as well. I don't know that. <clears throat> and they, they started making their own with the burr patterns. The main difference between the two and the originally was that the the Roberts bars were much thicker. They were inch and an eighth instead of uh, one inch like burr used. 
Um, so they had to, you know, they had a bigger hole and all that kind of stuff. And the, but the collars and everything originally were were the same as burr collars. One of the big mysteries of this whole iron collecting thing is what the word burr meant. B u r started out as burr bell b u r dash b e l, and then later they shortened it to just burr. Uh, but nobody knows where the name came from. Somebody thought it. I asked Dan Lurie and. Dan thought it might have been um, the fellow's wife's name, but uh, I, I, huh. I, I think we found out later that that was not true. So we don't know where Burr, what Burr means, where it came from, who knows. The rare Samson barbell. Yeah, Samson was in business, um, I believe, in Baltimore back in the 20s when uh, when Milo was, was around. And they looked just like the Milo, the, the globe. Uh, kind of set up the Milo duplex, um, and but they were so they were a direct competitor to Milo. I don't think they they sold that many. I've only seen a couple of ads. Uh, my friend Reuben Weaver sent me an ad that came out of uh, uh, Physical Culture, uh, you know, advertising Samson barbells, and I think their big thing was they were less expensive than. Uh, than uh, than Milo was, and uh, that was it. So I, I got a I met a guy real quick on the phone when I had the magazine and talked to him briefly because somebody told me he had uh, both whites and uh, and we we had a nice chat on the phone, whatever. And and some months later, his wife called me and said, that "I just want to let you know that that he had passed on." And um, I said, "Oh, you know, you know." Really, really sad about that. And I, of course, I'm thinking the the dumbbell. He had a that Samson dumbbell, and so I didn't say anything. I mean, come on, Jim, gone. And uh, she, she said, "You remember that old dumbbell he had?" I said, "Oh yeah, I do remember that because he had sent me a picture." She said, "Do you want it?" And I said, "I said I would love to have it, but." Uh, be sure to ask your family, uh, you know, the children and so on, if they want it before we do anything. And she says, I'll do that. She called me back the next day and said, no, nobody's interested. If you want it, come get it. So that's how I got that. Some things just drop in your lap, and in other things you end up paying more than you want to pay, but where else are you going to find one, you know? Who are the biggest collectors? I know Osmo and Havner and you and, yeah, Reuben Weaver, and who else? Paul Quinn is a big one, um, but there are there are probably um, there are probably uh, twelve fifteen uh, fairly major collectors these days uh, that that have a lot of stuff. Osmo, as you know, hmm. it, it, it seems to me he has like forty Olympic bars or something like that. I mean, the move almost killed him, and he said he <laughs> he like he doesn't think he can move again because there's so much work to move all of his stuff. Oh, absolutely. I, I did the same thing. I, when I moved to St. Augustine from Clearwater, my son-in-law and I packed all the stuff on a little trailer behind his truck, and we had it packed in there good. And there must have been thousands of pounds of equipment anyway, and dumbbells and everything. And um, I followed him up there, and this thing was kind of weaving, and, you know. <laughs> and I gave him instructions. I said, if that thing, if that thing gets to be a problem, Pull over to the side of the road, dump them. I said, I'm sick of looking at them at this point. Uh, of course, that didn't last. <laughs> we got them up here, but I was, I, I just, you know, I was tired.
tired of them. By the time I'd loaded them onto there and everything, I began to think, well, I don't really want this stuff anyway. But um, once we got it in here and loaded in, why, of course, the uh, romance began again. <laughs> and, Mike, we have time for one more. What are your most prized old magazines, books, and courses? I know you told me earlier that you have some really rare courses. Yeah, I've got uh, the courses I, I really like because I started with a Charles Atlas course, right? And um, I still have my course, right? My Charles Atlas course and the membership card and, and all this stuff. Um, and it, it's even got my measurements written on the back in pencil, written in 1954. No, I will not tell you what my measurements were in 1954. Um <laughs> but uh, oh, I, I, I did keep that, and um, uh, I've got in uh, uh, there in another room, so I can't rattle. I'll try to rattle them off. I've got uh, Atlas and Jowett and um, Barker and um, uh, 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 Tony Sansone had a course, a very good course, and I've got that mm-hmm. one. Um, the name's kind you of. You ever scary. heard of one called? I think it was called Universal. The Universal Bodybuilder. It was out of Dearborn, Michigan, I think. Yeah, back in the 70s, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it was 68 or something like that. I I, I got the the Universal Bodybuilding course. I actually got pretty good results with it because I was in high school then. But um, before that, I I did use the Charles Atlas course because my friend had it. I didn't didn't buy it. But my friend had it. He let me borrow it after he used it. And uh, so I actually followed the whole thing, and I remember it. And I remember doing the dips between the chairs, and, and I still do those. Oh, yeah. I still have. Yeah. That, yeah, I mean, because they are good. The dips between the chairs and a lot of the stuff he did, uh, you know, drinking the milk. And uh, um, overall, yeah. it was a positive experience. I mean, it was it good, was, for, especially for my age. Yeah, he's one of my heroes. It was. I, I, he had a nice physique. He wasn't a really big guy, but he had. Even Bob Hoffman said he had a beautiful physique, and he, he did. Um, uh, and he, uh, uh, the, 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 a lot of people say that that's those were isometrics. Uh, that's incorrect. Uh, they weren't isometrics because you actually moved when you're doing arms. For instance, you resisted with one arm while you curled with the other arm. So that's not isometrics. Isometrics, you don't move at all. So um, uh, Charles got his uh, uh, from uh, from Bernard McFadden, another hero of mine, uh, who introduced that that form of exercise back in the early 1900s. Um, and I think even before that, I think in Germany uh, uh, there was there was someone that was doing that sort of thing. So it, Charles didn't yeah. invent it. But uh, you know, he made it popular, and he made God, he made a lot of money with that with that course. Yeah, well, Charles Atlas' name originally was Angelo Siciliano. Then he changed it to Charles yeah. Atlas, and then when he when, sure. yeah, when he was a boy, he worked with Earl Lederman, and they both were boyhood <laughs> friends, and they worked together for Bernard McFadden. You, I know you know that, but it's amazing uh, that Bernard McFadden trained these two guys. Who both went on to become huge, you know, businessmen in the in two of the biggest mail order courses in the world. I mean, Lederman was even bigger than Atlas at first, and then he made some yeah. bad business decisions. And but you know, during the well, depression, a, they both he, he made a bad uh, marriage right. decision, killed him. Yeah, yeah. he married well, yeah. he married <laughs> Alaska, and I, as I understand it, uh, she took him to the cleaners, and uh, he never recovered from that. 
And I have yeah, I he had likes the high life too. Yes, yeah. Apparently, apparently was was quite quite the dude. Uh, Vic Boff, who you, you know you know well, uh, met Lederman, and he used to tell me stories about Earl Lederman. Uh, uh, he met him in the post office one day, looked around, and there was Earl Lederman. And the Lederman yeah. horse was actually good. It, 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 they they used rubber band, rubber strands, and I believe Atlas. I believe the story is that Atlas wanted to have rubber strands with his course, but there was a problem in getting uh, getting shipment. So Frederick Tilney, who was a, who was his partner at the time, who actually wrote the course, uh, right. said, "Well, let's let's go, let's go without without anything at all, and and because we you know we got these orders here, we got to fill them. We don't have anything to send them. So they uh, they then uh, came up with the." Uh, the exercise thing, and then later on, the the the, the fellow that um, that uh, became his partner later uh, was an advertising guy, and he came up with the name Dynamic Tension. You know, so Tilney and the Depression and a bunch of other factors made you know, and it turned out to be great for business, right? Atlas really did lift weights. It's just that you know, during the Depression, yeah. you can't really sell weights and ship weights around. So, you know, w- what he did was helpful. And it, it helped a lot of people. But the truth is, you know, Angelo Siciliano, or I might be saying his name wrong, but he changed his name to Charles Atlas. But he, he yeah, did train yeah. with weights. Oh, absolutely. That's true, right? In fact, uh, in fact uh, Tilney tells him in his book that uh, they used to work out in Atlas's office with, with weights, you know, but they would roll them and kind of hide them. And uh, <laughs> I, knew some guys, I knew a guy who used to work out at the uh, New York Athletic Club where Atlas worked out. And uh, he told me that Atlas had his weights uh, in a box, and it was locked, and only he could use them. <laughs> he couldn't be seen with them, right? Yeah, right, exactly. Absolutely. Bad for business. Big, <laughs> bad for business. But, but like, like you say, and I said too, I, I got good results with it because I, I, I had not trained before, and, and uh, hey, it was great. Yep, most of the stuff he said on there was was good, positive information, and uh, yep. I think I was only like ten years old when I was just starting out getting interested in in training and physical culture. When I got that, so for the age I was, that was perfect, and uh, it, it was great. I mean, it gave me a good foundation. Me too. Yeah, absolutely, and and um, so I have a lot of respect for him. I think the best course of all of those, the mail order uh, courses. Was George Jowett's, um, even though it was done with a, a you know a fairly small a pair of weights. Again, you got people started, and they could also they could always uh, go to the advanced course and so on. But um, Jowett's uh, mail order course, it, it, very similar to to Atlas, except that he used um, that he used uh, dumbbells. Well, Mike, you're a wealth of information. Very interesting conversation here. It was great having you on the show. So we just want to thank you again. Well, it's always nice to talk to somebody that's interested uh, interested in this sort of thing. And uh, I, I, it was delightful, and I hope to talk to you again. And since you're in Fort Pierce, we'll have to, uh, we'll, we just got to get together. Don't be a flamingo. You have to do your squats. Don't be a flamingo. Real lifters work their legs. Ooh, wow. 
That's going to do it for this edition of Natural Strength Night on MindForceRadio.com. Please bookmark that website, MindForceRadio.com. Bob is always looking for new writers for NaturalStrength.com who are old school, hardcore, write with passion, and have a strong anti-steroid stance. He also wants your training questions so they can be answered on the show. Please send your articles and training questions to Bob at MindForceRadio at Earthlink.net. Thanks for listening. See you next time.